The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, our next item is not intended for little ears, so just be aware of that. In the UK, it's estimated that sibling sexual abuse is three to four times more common in families than adult-to-child sexual abuse. And a new book dealing with this difficult topic is going to be released tomorrow. It's titled Working with Survivors of Sibling Sexual Abuse, A Guide to Therapeutic Support and Protection for Children and Adults. And the author, psychologist and expert in child sexual abuse, domestic abuse and complex trauma, Christiane Sanderson. Good morning, Christiane. Good morning, Pat. Now, this is a difficult topic because it's something that for most of us would be unconscionable. Absolutely. And I think this is part of the problem. And it's really the purpose behind the book. Um, Historically, I think people have viewed uh, sibling relationships as being benign and growth promoting. And of course, they are. Um, And they're very important. They're lifelong relationships. But unfortunately, sometimes they can also be quite abusive. And there's been a growing trend of people coming forward who are finally able to disclose and talk about their experience of being sexually abused by a sibling. And in the past, what's happened is that parents and some professionals, actually, when a child has made a disclosure, often see that or view this as natural, normal sexual exploration and experimentation between siblings. And it's often seen as less harmful or that the sibling doesn't know what they're doing. And so it's often minimized. Um, and um, what I think is important is that often children, when they experience this at the time, are not really aware of what's happening to them and they don't want to get their sibling into trouble so they don't talk about it. But then they may have what's called delayed trauma in later adulthood when they first start dating or enter sexual relationships and then it can really hit them, the impact that this has had. And it's really important for both parents and professionals to recognise the impact this kind of abuse can have. Now, first of all, uh, the the nature of the abuse. Are we talking about gross sexual abuse, gross interference in the bodily integrity of someone else? Are we talking about uh, touching? uh, Are we? And what ages are we talking about? When might this begin? Okay, and this is another really important aspect, Pat. So I'm really um, pleased you've asked that question. It can vary in the same way as child sexual abuse by an adult. That can vary from non-contact behavior, which is exposure to, um, you know, being naked, uh, watching things, you know, on TV or watching pornography, etc., right the way through to contact behavior, which includes rape. Um, and I want to give a health warning here because I'm aware that some people may be listening and this can be triggering. But we do see examples, and I've seen this in my own client work. I've been doing, I've been working with survivors for over 30 years, and it does include serious sexual assault and rape. So there'll be a huge, broad range of different um, behaviors. What we try to do is we've, um, several um, researchers and myself have developed um, categories of what is 
relatively considered normal, typical sexual exploration between siblings and children, right the way through to what is a cause for concern, what is a yellow flag, what is a, a red flag, right the way through to very extreme abuse. And unfortunately, what we're beginning to discover as people are more able to talk about it, that sometimes children as young as four have been um, seen to have behaved in a sexually abusive way towards a sibling or other children. And what we do is we don't want to, and I want to make this really clear, we don't want to demonize children who sexually abuse other children. Um, and so we don't see them as many pedophiles. And that's really important to make that point. We see them as engaging in harmful sexual behavior. Yeah. And one of the reasons for writing the book is as much for parents, because parents are often lost in this because they have, you know, split loyalties between supporting the child who's made the allegation, but also supporting the child who's been accused. And so they are often lost and they're not sure what to do, but professionals as well, to have an understanding of this continuum, of this spectrum from, you know, non-contact right the way through to very severe abuse. But the most important thing is to have an understanding of what is generally considered to be typical age developmentally appropriate sexual behavior between children and what is considered to be atypical. If we don't know what's typical, we don't know what's atypical and vice versa. Now, you know, the, the classic thing that uh, boys and girls will play doctors and nurses, yes. you know, uh, yeah. you show me you, yours and I'll show you mine, that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. When when does that stop being normal? Okay. All right. So, in the book, what I've do, I've done some tables that really explain this very well. I hope. Um, so, under the age of five, it is very, very typical for young children to want to explore their bodies, so to touch themselves, to want to explore other people's bodies, to touch their bodies, um, and also show me yours, show me mine. And sometimes they will also simulate, and I really specify simulate adult sexual behavior, usually uh, lying on top of each other, but fully clothed. Now, this is would be considered by most professionals, myself included, as typical sexual development. So what we need to know is when do we need to be alerted that this is an amber flag or indeed a red flag, is when, the, when children want to play this game all of the time. So for instance, typical behavior would be the ch the children are playing, you know, doctors and nurses, mummy and daddy, whatever. And we might um, say, look, let's go and play something else. And they're happy to desist. And then they'll go and play um, another game. When it's when there's cause for concern, the child will only ever want to play that game, and they'll they they'll desist temporarily, and then they'll go back to it. And then the other things we'll see that they're more it's more likely to be um um you know a degree of coercive behavior. So it's not always non-consensual. One of the, 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 the one of the siblings won't want to play that game, but often feels coerced into doing that. Because when it's typical, there's a lot of hilarity, there's a lot of joking and laughter, and you, you get the sense that there is a fun aspect to, to this encounter. When it becomes more serious and there's no hilarity, there's clearly some coercion, that's very different. But also if there's an insistence on nakedness, which is non-consensual, and then also when there are attempts at inserting objects that could be toys, that could be um, a penis 
into an orifice of the other child. That would not be considered as typical. Um, And then that sort of exploratory behavior starts to decrease beyond the age of five because a lot of children become more self-conscious about their bodies. So when we see that in older children, as long as they're the same age, that might still be considered with the same principle I've just said, that it's consensual, that would be seen as typical. But when it's an older child, a much older child, or a child that has more power, i.e. they're more privileged for some reason, they're they're the favoured child, when that child starts to engage in these activities, that would certainly be a red flag. Now, the the question of uh, the reporting of this versus the incidence of this, if the incidence is increasing, that's a concern. If the reporting is increasing of stuff that happened, that's probably a good thing that people are, you know, owning up to what happened and getting help for what happened. Mm -hmm. So do we know whether the incidence is actually going up or whether just reporting is getting better? This is obviously difficult to ascertain, Pat. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that historically, this has not just been underreported, but it's also been underresearched. And here in the UK, for instance, there is no uh, agreed definition of what constitutes sibling sexual abuse. So we're working in the dark. There's no agreed definition. More importantly, when an allegation is made and it uh, goes into the, you know, the police reporting, the police don't have here in the UK a specific category in which to lodge that this is sibling sexual abuse. They will put it under the general category of um, child sexual abuse. So one of the things that a lot of professionals are, you know, asking and making recommendations for is we need to have an agreed definition to help parents as much as professionals so they have an understanding. And we also need to have more, um, you know, specific uh, reporting strategies and categorization so we can start to collect the data. In my own experience, Pat, having worked with survivors for a very long time, is I've always had survivors who've come forward with this. Not to the same degree, obviously, as now, but it is starting to be increased in the reporting. And one of the things that is important to recognize, the National Police Chiefs Council uh, published a report in January of this year uh, where they actually say that over 50% of reported, so these are reported crimes of child sexual abuse and exploitation, um, are actually cases of child-on-child abuse. So finally, Christiane, the the role of uh, access to pornography, I mean, young kids should not be accessing pornography, but it's only a click or two away um, and older children may introduce younger children to it uh, as part of a game or as part of some malevolent act on their part. Mm -hmm. It's got to be be having an impact. Oh, oh, absolutely. But what I try to make clear in the book is that there are many, many different motivations such as envy, rivalry, all sorts of things that happen between siblings generally. One important one to mention before I talk about the pornography is that many children may be what we call dual status children. So these are children who have been both a victim of child sexual abuse, either by another sibling, an older sibling or an adult, who then go on or at risk of going on to 
um, enact some kind of sexual abusive experience towards a younger sibling. So we need to be aware that they may be both victim and instigator. Mm -hmm. And we have to be really mindful that they will need, you know, therapeutic input and mustn't be demonized. But your point about the role of pornography is really, really important. And if I can just use a very quick example, young children, when they see things on television or in magazines or in social media, they tend to mimic that behavior. And that's part of child development because they're trying to process what they've seen. So if you have Power Rangers or Ninja Turtles, you know, we when, when that was popular many years ago, you'd see children the next day in the playground reenacting what they had seen on screen. And this is typical behavior. It's play and through play, they try to make sense of what they've seen and, and experienced. So when we come to pornography, the same principle applies. They have seen something that they may be too young to understand. It could be pornographic. It could be certainly sexually very explicit. They don't have a full understanding. So they want to then mimic that and they then often turn to a sibling to do that. And the other thing I would just want to say what is also happening very sadly is that there may be peer pressure from other children. So I've got some examples in the book of a child who maybe doesn't fit into the the popular group who feels slightly isolated um, and because they want to have approval from their peers and they have maybe a, a younger sibling, a younger brother or sister they may be encouraged to take photographs of them naked, to get them to pose in sexual images, and then to post those online to that group that they want to get um, accepted by. So we need to be aware that peer pressure, which is also related to the use of the early exposure of pornography, can have a huge impact. And certainly some professionals think that this is one of the factors that is driving the increase of um, sibling sexual abuse. Christiane Sanderson, who's author of the book Working with Survivors of Sibling Sexual Abuse, A Guide to Therapeutic Support and Protection for Children and Adults. It's uh, being published tomorrow. It's available on Amazon. And Christiane, thank you very much for joining us. Now, if you've been affected by any of the issues, you can contact 1 in 4 on 01662 at Chilan 1800 or the Samaritans on 116123. And tomorrow we'll have a report from Josh Crosby, who spoke to the ISPCC about what Childline is hearing from children in relation to accessing pornography. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.